You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Hey, why don't you grab a Bible and uh, go with me into John's Gospel. We're going to be looking at John chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I'll bid you guys a very uh, warm welcome this Labor Day weekend. Glad you are here. My name is Craig Turnbull, and I get to be one of the pastors on staff, serves as the pastor of discipleship ministries here. And uh, excited to be here today, being God's messenger. And just, you got to know that next weekend at our church is a big weekend because it's the ministry launch weekend. And Pastor Robbie will be here and will be leading and beginning a brand new series in God's Word for you. What's that series? Well, you have to come back next week to find out, okay? Uh, but I'm here this weekend and glad to be here uh, with you. Hey, here's the takeaway for today. It's three letters. Wow. Okay, that's the point. If you want to spell that, I'll spell it for you. W-O-W. It's wow. That's my heart for you today as you study God's word. Not wow, look at Craig in that great shirt. Not wow, look at that amazing sermon I just heard. But wow, Jesus Christ is awesome. Jesus Christ is a greater and more pure delight in my eyes today after seeing what God has me to see in his word. Listen, I know you know this. He doesn't need more books. He doesn't need more billboards. He doesn't need an advertising committee. What he needs is for us to actually see him as more glorious and more awesome because he is more glorious and more awesome. And when you look at him, when you look at him, and when you see him more clearly, I know this. Your heart will love him more, and you will want to follow him even harder. That's the goal for today. But the problem is, is that we walk in and some of us have dirty glasses. You know what I mean by dirty glasses? Some of you that wear glasses, you know what I'm talking about. You have glasses and you look across the room and you're like, wow, what is that on the wall across the room? It's that dark smudge across the wall on the room. And, and it's over there and it's over there. And wait a minute, wait a minute. And you take the glasses out, that's on the glasses. I got to clean the glasses. I got to get some Windex and clean the glasses. Well, Things happen in our lives when we don't see the Lord Jesus Christ clearly. The, the dirt of the enemy, the dirt of the world, the dirt of even our own lies go up against the lenses and we can't see clearly. Lies of, lies of self-gratification, lies of self-sufficiency, lies of self-focus. And what ends up happening with these dirty glasses we walk through life and all of a sudden we're stumbling, easily stumbling, stumbling into things like temptation, we, we bump into the wall of despondency and trial. We, we get caught up in worldliness. We get confused about who we are. We get frustrated. We get angered. We get lost. We get crushed. We are filled with lust, filled with greed, filled with selfishness. And listen, sometimes we don't even realize that we don't even know Jesus Christ to begin with. These dirty glasses cause us to not see clearly. Well, I think what's time... For today, we, we, need some, we need some cleaner. We need some of that good blue stuff. We need that Windex. And I think it's time for some spiritual Windex. And what's great is that Jesus gives us some spiritual Windex in the text today. And my hope, and as, I, as we walk through the text, my prayer for you is that you would begin to see him more clearly. And as you see him more clearly, you would love him more fully and follow him even harder than you already do. Before our eyes today, in John chapter 1, we get a crash course in who Jesus Christ is. And you're going to witness in just a few seconds Jesus walking right up to a, a disciple and saying, hey, let me have those glasses. Let me clean that for you. Let me show you exactly who I really am. And that's a great truth even before we start is that, is that it's Jesus who does it. Jesus walks up. Jesus cleans. Jesus gives sight. Apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing unless he builds 
We labor in vain. We need him. We need him. What's this crash course in Jesus Christ? Let's take a look at it. The text for us in front of us is John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43. Let me read it for us. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And so Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Well, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right, it's time to get the spiritual Windex out. Jesus wants to see some things clearly about himself today. He wants to show Nathaniel these truths, and he wants to show you, I believe, these truths as well. Here's the first thing. It's this, this in your outline. It's this. What does Jesus want us to see? He wants us to see that he answers perfectly, that he answers perfectly perfectly. Now, up until this point in John chapter 1, Jesus has been baptized, and he's walking around in the Sea of Galilee area, and, 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 and he's picking disciples. And he stops in this one town called Bethsaida, and we're told the day before, he picks two disciples, one by the name of, of Simon, whom he would later call Peter, and then one by the name of Andrew. He grabs these disciples, two fishermen brothers. And now he's going to this town. In verse 43, we read that the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Andrew and Peter, just on the team. Now Philip gets added to the team. They're from this place called Bethsaida. Now in your text in the English, the B-E-T-H is just the Hebrew word for house. Bet is house. Bethsaida is the house of the fishermen. You want to take a wild guess what these guys did for a living? Yeah, that's right. They're dry cleaners. No, they're fishermen, right? They're fishermen. They're fishermen, and, and other gospel writers will tell us, Matthew and Mark in particular, they will tell us that as Jesus walks the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he will say to some of these fishermen, boys, hey, boys, 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 come follow me, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You follow me, and you'll fish men. And right away, Philip is at it. We see right away, Philip found Nathaniel. He's going fishing. Now, Nathaniel, who is this Nathaniel guy? Nathaniel pops up only in the Gospel of John. And the reason why he only pops up in the Gospel of John is because we're using the name Nathaniel. Most commentators are agreed that Nathaniel is actually most commonly called in the other Gospels by his dad's name. And what would happen very commonly in that time in the customs and the cultures is, is particularly if you were a young man, you would be called associated with your dad's name. And that happens even in cultures around the world even today. So if I was being raised in that culture in that day, I would be called Bar David, my dad's name, David. Bar, son of David. Now, what was Nathaniel mostly called in the other gospel writers? He was called bar Tholomew. His dad's name was Tholomew. Now, why is that important, Craig? That seems like trivia. No, it's important because what John will do under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is he shelves the title of son of, that bar piece, because he wants to use son of to show us something even more incredible. In fact, he reserves the title son of and what would follow only for Jesus. And we'll track 
through this passage, and you'll see exactly what I mean. But it's just Nathaniel. You, st- you still with me? It's just Nathaniel for this passage. What's important is what Philip says to Nathaniel. It's in, in verse 45. He says, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, the son of Joseph, the son of Joseph. What's Philip saying? He's saying we found him. We found him. We've been looking for him for so long. He- we found the promised one of Scripture. All of the promises in Scripture, we found him. You say promises, where where are the promises in Scripture? Well, the Old Testament is filled with promises of Scripture. How about this one coming from Deuteronomy 18.18? This is 1,400 years before Jesus was in that moment. This is spoken to and through Moses. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. That was a prophecy that the Israelites were looking for, looking for, looking for. Remember when Moses said there'd be somebody else who would come who would speak with the same kind of authority, the same kind of words of power that Moses had. Remember that one? We're looking for him. How about this one from Psalm 2? That's a thousand years before Jesus. As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. That's a thousand years before Jesus. They were looking at that. Remember that one who would be the son of God? Remember that one who would be the son of God? How about this one from Isaiah? 700 years before Jesus, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and the understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. There's someone's coming, someone who will sit on the kingly throne of David, and he's going to have that spirit of wisdom, that spirit of understanding, that spirit of insight, and, and we're looking for that guy. These were prophecies. These and hundreds more were prophecies that spoke of someone who would come, of someone who would deliver. For thousands of years, yes, thousands of years, God had been promising. God had been promising a victory over an enemy, an ancient enemy. God had sent prophets. He'd sent judges. He'd sent priests. He'd sent kings. He promised first to Adam, and then he promised to Noah. He chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not because they were excellent people, just because he chose them. He physically saved his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, and then he ransomed them again out of captivity in Babylon. He demonstrated their need of him and his great holiness through the giving of his law. He raised up deliverers. He conquered armies. He gave them sacrifices. He dwelled among them in a tent, and still and still the people suffered, and still they struggled, and still this life is so hard. And still they were lost and trapped in sin and death. And still judgment loomed and Satan laughed. Why is that? Because all of these promises, all of these allusions to, all of these prophecies of the one who would coming, all of those things are are just physical stuff that could never change the heart. All the prophets, the priests, the kings, the judges, the sacrifice, the wars, the enslavements could never change what is wrong with them. Could never change what's wrong with me. Because what's wrong with me is my heart. But God knew that all along. And God was still promising a deliverer, a greater deliverer. Not a deliverer from foreign armies and foreign kings and foreign powers, but a deliverer from sin and death. A deliverer from the greatest enemy that's ever been. A king to sit on David's throne. A priest to intercede for his people. A prophet like, the, like Moses, like no one else. And now he's here. Jesus is here. He's the answer. Thousands of years and literally hundreds of prophecies lining up on one man. 
And so when Philip comes to Nathanael, we shouldn't read it like, hey, Nathanael, wake up. Hey, man. Oh, hey, Phil, what's going on? Hey, we found the guy. Oh, great. That's good. Okay, see ya. No, we shouldn't read it like that. This is someone that all of Israel was looking for. This is someone that they're reading the scriptures. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. We're looking for him, we're looking for him. Look at the prophecies. He'll be from this place, he'll be from this region. He'll do these great things. He has this power. We're looking for him. He's gonna heal the sick. He's gonna raise the dead. We're looking for him, we're looking for him. And Nathaniel, when he, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, this is how Philip comes to him. Nathaniel, Nathaniel, we found him. We found him. Of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, we found him. All of Israel looking for him. All of Israel. Jesus answers perfectly. See, Jesus has given Philip the sight to see that he's the perfect answer. He's the perfect answer to all of these prophecies. He understands this, this young man coming to grab his friend. Now listen, I can, can I suggest to you today that, that he's the perfect answer for us also? Maybe you're not having the same kind of questions. Where's the answer to the prophecy? Maybe you are, but you've got other questions you come with. You've got other real, meaningful questions that you're struggling with. You're struggling with questions like, why am I even here? What's my purpose in this life? Why can't I find any peace? Why can't I find any hope? Why can't I find any joy? Why does this world seem so cold and so lost and so alone? Why don't I like myself? What's going on inside of me? Why do I feel so alone? What's the point of all of this? Listen, listen, listen. You were made for a purpose. You're here today to hear this. You were made for a purpose. You were made for a person. To see Jesus, to love Jesus, and to follow Jesus. And could it be here today that that you're here right now because Jesus is calling to you? Maybe for the first time, maybe calling you again back home. Listen, it's true, the more rightly you see Jesus, the more answers you get to these kinds of great questions. And maybe you're here today struggling with those questions. Maybe even in Christ, you're struggling with those questions. What's the point? Why is this world so hard? Why is it so hard? Well, the more rightly you see him, the more answers you get to those questions. Do you see him? Maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe, maybe God's encouraging your heart even now. Maybe, though, you're not convinced. Maybe... Maybe you're a little bit like Nathaniel, who's not convinced. Look at verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What does Nathan mean by, Nathaniel mean by that statement? Well, he means probably two things. One, he's a good student of God's word, and so he knows because the prophet Micah has said in the Old Testament that the Messiah, that's the promised one, the one for the hundreds of prophecies, speaking of the one who would come and save, that Messiah, he would be coming and be born in a city called Bethlehem. That's Beth, B-E-T-H, Beit, house of bread. So the house of fishermen guy sits there and says, no, the Messiah is coming from the house of bread, Nazareth, that's not working for me. Probably the other reason why he said Nazareth is because Nazareth at this time is a hole. It's a dump. Nothing comes from Nazareth. Just trouble. Just junk. So we've got a bad reputation at this time. Nothing comes from Nazareth. Philip says to him, just come. Just come and see. Just, 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 just come and see. That's a good friend. And maybe you're here today because a good friend said to you, look, 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 
We can talk all you want. You just got, you got to come. You got to come to my church. You got to hear about this Jesus. You got to see what I can see. And maybe you're here today because someone did ask you that. Someone did say, you got to come and see. And you, you, you came and you saw and you stayed because you believe it. Maybe, though, you're not convinced. Maybe you're still kind of sitting there with your arms folded in your mind and saying, listen, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to come and see. I don't get this thing. I'm here because I have to be. I don't get the whole raising arms and singing songs. I mean, like, we're adults. What are we doing? I don't get it. I'm here because I have to be. I just invite you as we walk through the text, come with us. Come and see. Just come. What's going to hurt you? Just get a little Windex on you, maybe. Come and see. Well, he's the answer for everything. He's the perfect answer. But I want to show you the second big truth for us today. It's this. It's, it's that he knows perfectly. Jesus wants to see his shot of Windex number two is that he knows perfectly. He knows perfectly. Not only does he answer perfectly, he knows perfectly. Philip somehow convinces Nathaniel to come and follow him. I don't know how that went. Maybe hey, Nathaniel, come on, come on, come and see, come and see, come and see. Maybe Nathaniel, oh, all right, I'll come and see. You're going to buy me wings after this, okay? So he comes and sees, and the text tells us in verse 47 that he's still a ways off, and he looks, and Jesus initiates, doesn't he? Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now, that's an interesting statement. Now, at face value, what that means is, hey, here's Mr. What you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. That's Nathanael. Here he is. But there's more behind this. Jesus is, is using that phrase of no deceit in a specific way, as we'll find out. In fact, he's using it as an allusion to somebody who, who lived long, long ago. A no deceit kind of person. Somebody back before 700 years, before 1,000 years, before 1,400 years even. Somebody about 2,000 years ago by the name of Jacob, whose name means the deceiver, the trickster. Maybe you don't know the story of Jacob, but he certainly was a trickster. Tricked his family, tricked his father, his brother, maybe even his mom. His name really meant it. And then he wrestles with God, he gets a new name, and that new name is Israel. So Jesus is saying to Nathanael as he sees him, hey, here's an Israelite, but he's not like that deceiver Jacob. Jacob. Well, why allude to Jacob? Why talk about Jacob? It seems strange. Well, Nathaniel's confused also. Look at verse 48. Nathaniel says to him, how do, how do you know me? How do you know me? Right? Right? How do you know me? It's not like he can walk up. It's not like there's a sign on his head that says, a no deceiver kind of guy. It reminds me of the story of my friend who, who went to the store, and he was buying something at the store, and the clerk is helping him, and, and he's checking out and everything like that, and the, and the clerk leans across the counter and says, is there anything else I can get you? And then he uses my friend's name. My friend backs up. How do you know my name? And the clerk says, well, it's written right on your shirt. <laughs> and Jesus can't do that with Nathaniel, right? Doesn't, he doesn't have it on his shirt. I'm a no deceit, Mr. What you see is what you get kind of guy. It's not like he looks at a physical feature like big arms and says, well, that guy can curl 200 pounds for sure. No, he stares right into his soul. This is a guy who's not a deceiver. This is a guy who's not a trickster. He's a truth teller. How do you know me? And Jesus answers him in verse 48, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. 
Now, what happened under that fig tree? Where was that fig tree? How long ago was that fig tree? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But what I can tell you is in that moment, that one moment, Jesus proved to Nathaniel that he knows perfectly. In that one second, maybe a crisis of the soul under the fig tree, maybe a, a season of difficulty, a season of adversity, a, a hard moment, sitting under the fig tree, Jesus says, I saw you under that fig tree. I saw you there. I know that. Now let's, let's stop for a second, because that's a truth for us also today, that we dare not pass over. I don't care whether your name is Nathaniel or Philip or Peter or Craig or whatever your name is, Jesus Jesus is telling us something very clearly here. It's that he knows perfectly. Jesus knows perfectly. Theologians call this omniscience. He knows everything. As fully God, Jesus knows. That's not a truth to fly over, although we can just say it. Hey, yeah, he knows everything. But sometimes we forget the implications of what that means. What does it mean? Well, I think when we think about the omniscience of God, it should cause our heart to respond in, in, in two, two ways. Well, the first way it should cause our heart to respond, if this diagram helps you, is it should bring some reverence in my life. When I know that Jesus sees me under every fig tree in life, it should bring some reverence. I should be saying to myself, wow, I should, I should watch how I behave. I should consider my actions. He knows who I really am. He knows every time I give into temptation. He knows my frustrations with my family. He knows my self-centered thinking. He knows when I cheat. He knows when I lie. He knows when I steal. He knows when I think like I do about that woman who isn't my wife or that man who isn't my husband. He knows what I daydream about. He knows my sin. He knows the moments when I'm positioned with, with choosing to sin or choosing to obey, and I choose sin. He knows that even when I'm alone. He knows. He knows. He's omniscient. He sees me under every single fig tree of life. Listen, listen, listen. You cannot blow smoke at God. You cannot walk up to God at the end of your life and say, yeah, but he knows. You can lie to your wife. You can lie to your husband. You can lie to your children. You can lie to your pastor, but you cannot lie to God because he knows. He sees you. He knows what kind of person you are. The omniscience of God should cause our heart to shake with, with fearful reverence. But there's another thing that the omniscience of God should bring to us, and it's this, it's comfort. Just as he knows me when I struggle in sin, he knows me when I struggle in obedience. He knows the difficult choices I make to be obedient even in the middle of a difficult relationship. Even when it's hard at work, he knows and sees the fig tree I sit under when I choose to make the right choices for God, choose to obey. He sees me struggling in my difficult marriage. He sees me agonizing over kids who don't know him, weeping on my knees in prayer. He sees my worshipful giving. He sees my heart as I sing songs, even when it's hard, I sing them. Even when the tears start to come, he sees the moments of obedience when, when it's presented before me, when no one else will know, when I can choose to obey or choose to disobey, and I choose to obey, he sees that. He sees the difficulty I face. He sees the times when I feel so worn out. He sees me when I feel like quitting. You realize this, don't you, that Jesus sees every single fig tree you've ever been under. He sees it. He knows. He knows. How do you know me? How do you know me? Because I do. I made you. I don't walk away from things I make. And Jesus reaches for Nathaniel's glasses and says, here, let me get those clean for you. 
Do you see me? Do you see me, Nathaniel? Because I see you. I see you. Nathaniel's flat out convinced. He answers him in verse 49. Rabbi, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now what commentators will caution us at this point is that we should not be quick to say, well, Nathaniel instantly understands the Trinity or that Nathaniel instantly gets the incarnation. Rather, the statement that he makes here is, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. That's a messianic. That's the, he gets what Philip was trying to tell him before. He gets that, hey, we found the one, we found the one, we found the one. When Jesus says to Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree, Nathaniel steps back and says, I know, you're the, you're the one. You're the one. I recognize that. You're the one. These are messianic terms he uses. Nathaniel's nodding his head with Philip. Yes, yes, absolutely, Philip, you were right, you were right, you were right. How about you? How about you? Do you see him as the perfect answer? Perfect answer for every question of meaning in your life. Do you see him as the one who knows you perfectly? I pray the glasses are getting clean. Because here's the neat thing is the more accurately you see Jesus, the more you will love Jesus and the more you will follow Jesus. And that is the best thing for you in your life. The best thing in you, for you in your life is not that you would love the things of the world, run after the things of the world that fade, fall away, and die. What you should do, what we should do, the best thing for us is to follow hard after Jesus. He's the only thing that's worthy of it. Now the neat thing is, is that there's no division. If you even look in your Bible, there's no break and no black, new, new black titling above it. There's a verse 50. So, so to me, I look at Nathaniel, it seems like he's convinced. The guy's signed up, he's on the team. But Jesus continues to go. He continues to come at him. And, and, and amazingly, the story's not done. Amazingly, Jesus is going to reach for the Windex one more time. What else is he going to show him? Well, the amazing thing that's going to come is he's going to show him the greatest thing that he's ever seen. Here, here Nathaniel, it's not quite clean yet. Let me just show you one more amazing thing. Come and see. Come and see me. Let me give you the last one here, last point in our outline. You should come and see Jesus, that he's a perfect answer, also that he knows you perfectly. But the third thing is also that he guarantees perfectly. He guarantees perfectly. Verse 50 in our text, Jesus answered him, well, wait, Nathaniel, because I saw you, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Nathaniel you will see greater things than these. Jesus isn't surprised by Nathaniel's answer, but he does give him one amazing promise. You will see greater things than these. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Nathaniel, you think it's amazing that I can tell you about the fig tree. How about something far, far, far greater than that? And then he unloads with this statement in verse 51. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You notice the progression of the text, the Son of Joseph, the Son of God, now the Son of Man. That Son of means an association with, an association with. So Jesus is the Son of Joseph. I associate my life with Joseph, my dad. Jesus is the Son of God. I associate my life with God, this awesome God. Now Jesus is the Son of Man. I'm associating my life with Man, interesting. Now, what's this ascending and descending business all about? When did that happen? 
Now, we have the wonderful advantage of having all of the gospel in front of us. Nathaniel doesn't have the gospel of John in front of him. He, that story's waiting to be written. But we have it all. We have everything that God wants for us in the pages of Scripture right now. And we can read all of John's gospel. And we can read all of Matthew's and Mark's and Luke. And we can find this exact location where the angels are ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus. And where is that? Where is it? You say to me, well, I don't know. You're teaching us. You tell us. Where is it? Well, before we get there, remember back in verse 47? Back in verse 47, what does Jesus call Nathanael? Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Here's, not a dece- here's, a, here's, a, here, here's somebody coming who's not a deceiver, not a trickster, not like that guy Jacob. And we were left wondering, why does he allude to Jacob? Turn with me in your Bibles. You've got to turn there, okay? Genesis 28. Genesis 28. Let's find this place of ascending and descending. While you're turning there, Jacob, at this point, in Jacob's story, he has basically been true to his name, and he's tricked everybody he's known. He's tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright. He's tricked his dad, Isaac, out of the blessing. He's probably even tricked his mom at some point, and now he's on the run because everybody doesn't like that. Everybody doesn't like it when you deceive them over and over again. And he's on the run, frankly, for his life. And he finds himself out in the wilderness, out in the middle of the night. Verse 10 of Genesis 28 says this, Jacob left Beersheba and he went to Haran and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking out one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in the place to sleep. Verse 12, and then he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 13, see this, see this, see this. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land, and then he gives these promises. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and they shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you, all the offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob awoke from sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head, and he set it up for a pillow, and he poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. Now, Bethel, B-E-T-H, there's that house part again. Not the house of fishermen, not the house of bread, but the house Bethel of God. Jacob wakes up and says, surely the Lord is in this place. Now, what's Jesus doing in John chapter 1? Jesus looks across at Nathanael and says, Surely you will, see this. you will see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's a clear reference to Genesis 28. But what's the difference between Genesis 28 and John chapter 1? Where is the Lord in Genesis 28? He's at the top of the ladder in heaven. Where is the Lord in John chapter 1? He's at the bottom of the ladder, on the ground, in the turf, in the war zone, working for his people, saving for his people. Jesus has arrived. Jesus stands before Nathaniel and says, guess what? Guess what? I am here. God is here now. And the problems will be fixed. I have come. I will save. Now, the word of God does not tell us what Nathaniel's response is, but you know what it was? It was jaw, ground, drop. And I'm sure it was something like what Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place. 
God incarnate walks the face of the earth. No, Philip, I am not just the son of Joseph. No, Nathaniel, I am not just in the messianic sense, the son of God. Jesus says, I am the son of man. I am the Messiah. I am the Lord God on the earth right now. And as Jesus cleans the glasses, he's, Nathan, Nathaniel sees he's the perfect answer. He's the perfect answer. He knows me perfectly. And the perfect guarantee is that God is here. God is here. I have come, Nathaniel. I am here. I am the focal point of heaven and earth. You will see greater things. Here is God in the flesh, standing right in front. Here's what we've seen so far. Jesus making this very clear getting out the Windex, cleaning the glasses. He says to them, I'm, look, I'm the promises that are fulfilled. I know you perfectly. I am God. I am God. And now I have come. I have come for you. This is the great guarantee of the gospel. Is that Jesus Christ has come. This is the greatest story that has ever been told. That God who created the world also stepped in to fix it. That God, rightly God, who is in charge, has been rejected rejected by his creation, and in rejecting him, his creation have wandered away. In rejecting God, we worship ourselves or, or, or others or, or the things that we make or the things that others make or our dreams or our hopes or our aspirations. In rejecting God and his life, we suffer death. In rejecting God and his truth, we embrace lies of self-sufficiency, of isolation, of loneliness, of depression, of fear, of anger, and of hate. Of rejecting God, we've run from the Father who loves us so wondrously, so much, and as a perfect Father, loves so much. A perfect father would do anything for his kids. And the wondrous, glorious truth of the gospel is that he did. That Jesus Christ, God incarnate upon the cross as a willful sacrifice for my sin, hangs in my place. His life is given in my place that I might receive his life and his righteousness and his joy and know just how much God loves me. So Jesus says to Nathaniel, 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 you think it's amazing that I said I saw you under the tree? Wait, just wait, son, until you see what I do on another tree. Just wait until you see how I take your sin. Wait how you, I take your brokenness. I take your alienation from someone who loves you so much and I place it upon me. And wait until you see how my sacrifice will bring you home. You will see greater things than these. I got to think that Nathaniel sees Jesus more, that he loves Jesus more, and now he's following Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us that he does. Now, don't close your Bibles. One of two things is happening right now. Either God is hardening your heart, or either you are hardening your heart, or God is softening your heart. Maybe just maybe you're not there. Maybe you're not there. Maybe the arms are still folded in your heart. I tell you right now, from the truth of God's word, is that he is the only way. You can try it on your own, but you will always be missing something. You won't find that lasting joy. You won't find that lasting hope. You won't find that lasting peace or that purpose or that contentment. You will always be distant until you come to him through him. And I beg you, please, please, please see this. Now, the word of God tells me 
very clearly that Jesus Christ must do the work. I could shine a light in a blind man's eyes, but that still won't make him allowed to see. If you want to believe, even sitting there today, you pray that God would open your eyes. And listen, when God opens your eyes, you realize you're in a room with a deadbolt, and you unlock that deadbolt and open the door, and there's Jesus Christ rushing in to see you, rushing in to rescue you, rushing in to save you and to bring you home. That's the truth. He wants to come to you today. And you, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Maybe, maybe today for you it's starting to make sense. It's finally making sense. You've heard about this Jesus for so long, but today your heart is being softened and you need to hear this. You need to hear this, that he knows you, that he's the perfect answer for you, that he loves you. All that's needed for you is to fall into his arms. And then you say to me, surely, surely, I gotta do something, right? I gotta do something. No, 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 no. The truth of the gospel is that everything, everything has been done for you by the work of Jesus Christ. Everything has been done for you. We say, surely I gotta be a good person, right? No, 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 no. That comes after us. God works in you and changes your heart and gives you that brand new heart and new desires. But right now, what's, what's for you? What's for you? Look up with your eyes at John chapter one. Look up John chapter one. John chapter one and verse 12. But to all who did receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But to all who did receive him and who believed in his name, no more my way, Lord, no more on my own. I see you, Lord, and I run to you, Lord Jesus. You are the way. What I've heard today is the truth. What I've heard about you and about me, it's the truth. I need Jesus. And I follow Jesus. All that's needed for you is to run into him, fall into his arms. And find the forgiveness in the life that you're looking for. And maybe today, maybe today in simple faith, as you trust in him, you'll be able to say, I've found Jesus. I have found Jesus. And I will follow him. Maybe you've made that decision. Maybe you've made that decision long ago. And you've seen. And God has graciously allowed you to see who you are and who he is. And he's brought you together. Long-time follower, short-time follower, your heart is being stirred to follow more. And here's the truth, whether you came into this place hungering for the Lord more or, 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 or less, his call to you today is to see him more clearly. See him more clearly. See him as the one who's the perfect answer for everything in your life. Maybe you forgot those answers. Maybe you're struggling today in, 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 in desperation. Maybe you're struggling today in, in hurt and loss and pain. Maybe you're struggling today with the question, why does this all mean? Why am I going through all this? Why is this life so hard? Why is it so hard? The Lord calls you today to see more of Jesus. See him more clearly. Recognize again today, he's the perfect answer for me. He knows me perfectly. He sees me in those hard places. He sees me in my pit of sin. He sees me and I need him. And here's the perfect guarantee. See his perfect guarantee that yes, 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 yes you cannot do this. You need Jesus Christ. And I pray that as you see him more, that your heart loves him more and that you follow him more. That's the fuel for our hearts today. The more rightly you see Jesus Christ, the more you will love him, the more you will follow him. I want that for me. I want that for you. I want to be able to say here, I, I, I will follow you, Lord. And maybe you're saying that today. I will follow you, Lord. I will follow you when it's easy. I will follow you when the sun is shining, when things are going great at work when things are fine with family, when the relationships around me are wonderful. I will follow you, Lord, when everything's going well. 
I will follow you, Lord, when it's hard. I will follow you when the day isn't so bright, when life isn't so great, when relationships are hurting, when I seem alone and tired, when it's just me. I will follow you, Lord. I will follow you even though it will cost me much. I will follow you if it costs, costs me financially. I will follow you if it costs me relationally. I will follow you, Lord. I will follow you if it's only me. I will follow you. I will follow you when the tears come. Because, Lord, I know that you love me. And I know that you are God. Will we end where we begin? We began by knowing that it's Jesus who does this. Jesus is the one who cleans. Only Jesus has the soap to make well. And so it seems right that we finish our time asking him that he would do just that. Would you bow with me? Lord, Lord, please. Lord, please, please be moving. Pray you be working in my heart and in my friends' hearts. Pray that you would be bringing sight today. To some sight for the very first time, to see you as this answer. To see you as the one who gave his life for them. Lord, we, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. That Unless you build a house, the laborers labor in vain. And so, God, we need you to be opening eyes and opening hearts. Some for the first time, and some maybe even today just for freshness. Lord, we need to see you because we've been stumbling too much in temptation. Lord, we need to see you because we've been despondent in the middle of trial. We need to see you, God, because there's too much worldliness in my heart. Too much love for the things out there. We need to see you, God, because I'm so confused sometimes about who I am, what I'm meant to do. I need to see you, God, because I get frustrated and angered and I feel lost and crushed. I need to see you, God, because I struggle with lust, with greed, with selfishness. I need to see you, Lord. So would you bring sight, please? Please, God. Please. The only thing I need in this life is more you. And I pray, God, that as hearts pray this, that we'd be saying, yes, I love my Savior. I love my Savior. And yes, I will follow. And Lord, as we finish our time together in song, I pray, God, that hearts be lifted to you and the prayer continues. The prayer through the song now. As we sing out to you, I will follow. I will follow you. I will follow you in the good, in the bad, in the hard, in the difficult, in the easy. I will follow you. Lord, lift our hearts and our voices to you now in worship. Would you receive our worship? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.